So once again, let's uh, welcome our team, Wes and Tammy, Katie and Erica, and of course, uh, Frank this morning. Um, it's exciting because I've been to Rwanda a few times and I know the feeling and I, I knew what you guys were going to experience. Of course, I'm a little jealous because I think y'all experienced some things I've never experienced before. <laughs> but I, I did hear that you went on a safari, right? Uh, this is not a hunting safari. This is a picture safari. Uh, but, uh, and I heard that you saw a few things that maybe Frank and I have never seen before. So who wants to share with us a little bit about the safari today? Well, I will. I'm sure you can hear me without this. But, um, well, I will say that one of the funniest things on the safari was the Rwandan massage, they call it. Because <laughs> the roads are so bumpy that you get kind of a massage, I guess. And the proof was in our watches, our GPS watches that count steps. I had 46,000 steps on a day <laughs> that I rode in a vehicle all day. It was crazy. It was totally nuts. So I, I got a record, but not really. Um, so we did uh, start off our trip the very first, I want to say, full day we were there. I don't even know. It's kind of a blur. Um, but we started off at about 4.45 in the morning, um, their time. And we took off for this safari. And Anna was the name of our guide. And he was incredible. He was not um, with the park, employed by the park. He was just a guide that had been um, provided for us that day. And there was, not, there was one question out of the 279 that we asked him that he couldn't answer, and it was about a plant. He could tell us everything about every animal. He was fantastic. He stopped when we needed to stop. It was really funny because we got stuck in the mud. Now, this is not the rainy season, so we're not supposed to have all this mud and stuff that we get stuck in, but we did, and he felt horrible, and he was going to get us out, and he was going to get us out, and we're sitting there like, we really want to help. He didn't want us to. Finally, I think he gave in and said, yeah, we're not getting out of this without your help. So within about the first, I would say it was within the first hour of, of the safari, we all got out and got us out of the mud, and it was hip, hip, hooray, and everything. And um, we were really excited because Tammy had wet wipes uh, we got in the car <laughs> for our, the mud that was all over us. That, that was pretty funny. So we went on the safari, and we saw everything. Um, Scott, one of the gentlemen that was with us that's um, incorporated with Rwanda Challenge, he had never seen the elephants. He said he had been on it twice and never seen the elephants. And not only did we see the elephants, but they were here to there from us. It just sat there and ate, and then a little baby came running across the road, yelling for its mama, and do, do it, we have it that, was so we have cool. That picture? Go back to that picture. Let's see if that's... I saw the elephant in there, yeah. Okay, go Yeah, ahead. the big elephant was in there, but I yeah. have a video of the little one running across <laughs> yelling because he was trying to catch up. So that was really, really neat. And besides everything else, I mean, we were just bonding on this trip. We were there five, six hours, and it really just set the tone for the entire trip. And then the end came where we heard there were lions in the area. Um, and we came across a pride of 11 lions. That's nine of them right there. Two of them were off to the side. From my understanding, that's the biggest pride that they've seen. Um, even our guide had not seen the lions before. So it was really, really neat experience to see that. I don't know if I go back if I'd want to go on the safari again because 
we saw everything that you could possibly see on the safari. It was just incredible. And Frank, really how many times have you been on that safari? Uh, probably 20-some. Okay. And how many times have you seen the lions? Zero. This, this, this isn't fair. It's not fair. And he still didn't go this time. <laughs> he didn't go this time. He didn't time. go this time, so he's still going to see the lions. <laughs> uh, there were no more seats left. Uh, oh. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, so I also understand you guys experienced the genocide memorials. Um, you know, that's one of the big things about Rwanda. In contrast to seeing the beauty of that Akagara Park, uh, you also see the sadness of Rwanda. So I wonder if you guys would like to comment on that. Well, one of my goals in going to Rwanda, in addition to doing the teaching and so forth, as, as a historian, was to understand the, the genocide. And uh, I, I went in approaching it sort of from an academic standpoint, but um, it, it really hit me, um, the devastation that it caused. To imagine that in early 1994, the population of Rwanda was approximately 7 million people. And a million people were killed in 100 days. One out of seven. And I, I don't think there's anything in, in our American experience that can really compare to that because to hear the accounts of weddings and other family events that should be celebrations, there's always an empty seat or empty seats. And each time the family gathers, there's that reminder. And the, the, like I said, the devastation is just, you know, uh, incredible. The, it, it's almost beyond uh, description. But yet you see glimmers of hope. And I was thinking about this uh, as I was sitting there this morning. I, I remember when we first got married, we lived at a house that had a dead tree. And one time, I, you know, we lived there for several years and you know, nothing ever came of it, so I well, cut it down. And the next spring, there were green shoots coming out of it. And, and you see that. Uh, in Rwanda and the, these, this hope. And our driver on the safari mentioned uh, on the way back that his father had been killed in the genocide. And, you know, to, to kind of put a face to it, and he was eight years old at the time, and, and you know, he's uh, 35 now, I, I guess, and he's married, has a family of his own, and is seemingly very successful in his profession. And when we went to the Niamata Genocide Memorial, as we were kind of reading the set of plaques that they had there, I noticed Theophel sitting on a bench talking to a woman, and which I didn't really think much of because Theophel seems like the kind of guy that's never met a stranger. <laughs> and as we were leaving, he was telling us that this woman was there. There were 10,000 people. I, I, I can't imagine, you know, the, the church isn't that big. You know, the, the sanctuary area is 
smaller than our area in here. There were 10,000 people there. She was there with six of her children. None of those children made it out. And the only reason she did is because bodies had fallen on her and the killers didn't realize that she was still alive and was able to escape. Somehow her, her husband had survived as well and they, they have four children since. And you, you see that, you, you know, this, the, this hope that comes from that. And the, the widows that we went to see, the, the microloan project that has been shared here on numerous occasions, we got to see some of the effects of that and hear the story of a, a woman named Josie. And, and Tim has shared her story before and just just to see that out of this something good is happening I, I can't help but think of the passage from Genesis where after Joseph had been sold into slavery uh, towards the end he says what you meant for evil God meant for good mm -hmm. and we see that happening with the, the young men that we were working with this week. So when, when the group asked me to share about this, I said, well, I don't know if I can. It might take like two hours. So that's the abbreviated <laughs> version. I'd be happy to talk with anybody afterwards, uh, yes. but I'll allow others to share if they so desire. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of layers to uh, the genocide and how they're coming out of that. And it is a sobering thing, but I appreciate you pointing to the hope. And I think that the church provides a lot of hope. Sad to say, there are a lot of churches and pastors who were involved in that genocide, who took part in the genocide, which is un uh, unbelievable to me. But I know when Frank went, and Frank, you might want to speak to this, one of, one of your desires was to help strengthen the church so that they knew, you know, you have to choose Christ over tribe, and you, we can't do that. Um, when we first went and started teaching church leaders in Rwanda, uh, we would uh, bring about uh, 20, 25 church leaders together, and the ones that did not live in Kigali uh, that were coming from the four provinces, which is basically states in Rwanda. Uh, when they would come together, they would s uh, sleep in the same house. They brought all kinds of mattresses in and uh, discovered that uh, uh, some were Hutu, some were Tutsi, and uh, the relationship that is developed among those church leaders has been just tremendous mm. uh, to see them uh, uh, come together uh, when in 1994, uh, one group was trying to wipe out the other group. Yes. Um, now, how, how many of you had been uh, overseas before? Uh, how many of you had been to a third world country before? Some of you. Um, but nobody's been to Africa before, right? So, uh, you know, a lot of people in their mind, when they think of Africa or going to a third world country, they think of staying in a mud hut and you know, stuff like that. Now, there certainly are some of the places where you see some of that, but uh, tell us about your, your struggles there. You know, staying in the, in the very difficult place that you stayed in. 
Uh, t tell us a little bit of Katie, I guess you got the oh, mic, so you get to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> well, let's see. We stayed in a newer home. Um, part of the city, they call it the old Kigali and the new Kigali. The old Kigali, the rooftops are flat, made out of metal. The new Kigali, they're pointed and made out of um, type of tile that they put on. Um, we were in a newer home. Um, basically, the home that we stayed in is owned by Europeans that come in and build the homes and then rent out the houses for people to stay at. Um, how many bedrooms? We have, what, five bedrooms? Six? Five or six r different rooms. Um, we had a king-sized bed. <laughs> you know, That's a master suite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, really how was your view? Oh, the view was over the mountains, and you could see the sunset over in the mountains, and you could look over the city. And the church was just one road down. Um, but Clarice, the the person that they hired, would come and take care of us and cook our breakfast and cook our meals and then they would cook us dinner and we were able to eat there and it was tough wasn't it it, it was it just was, it was tough hard, a hard life hard <laughs> life and uh i'm I, i'm sure that the food was hard to even eat wasn't it it was just horrible food right uh, what what was, was your favorite food over there mine yeah oh put so, that mic up there okay so there <laughs> I'd rather sing. Um, <laughs> so there was a thing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Um, I don't remember the name of the restaurant that we went to. Um, it was in, it was. Um, uh, Sola Luna? Nope, the other Sola one. Sola Luna? Nope. Uh, uh, Canabera? That one. They had bruschette, which is meat on a stick. And they have different types of bruschette, which is goat bruschette. It mm. tasted like steak. Good stuff. It did. Uh, there was chicken bruschette and beef bruschette. The beef and chicken were my fave. It yeah. was really, really good. Uh, at that restaurant especially, it was very tender and good. But with every meal, we had rice and beans and um, fries, which they call crisps. And so we had lots of carbs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were carb loaded. <laughs> uh, peas and carrots were a common thing. Uh, beans and carrots on, on other days. Uh, pineapple. Pineapple was amazing. Um, bananas, lots of different varieties of bananas. They're, they have these short little cute bananas that are really fat but really sweet. And they're very delicious. And they had cooked bananas and plantains and all types of food. It was very good. Now, the reason I'm asking this is because there might be somebody out here that's thinking, oh, man, I could never go to Africa. No, I mean, was, the, the hardships. No, mm -hmm. they take good care of you. They treated yes. us like royalty. And, and you, you may even gain weight while you're over there, which is crazy. Why are you bringing that up, Tim? I, I, <laughs> well, I'm just talking about my experience, not your experience. Um, <laughs> uh, now, on to a more serious note, uh, Frank, uh, I know that uh, we've teamed up with Rwanda Challenge and Harvest Ministries and Mid-Atlantic Christian University have teamed up to get a campus there in Kigali. What would you like to share with us about that? 
Um, a couple of things. One is uh, before, uh, the focus of Rwanda Challenge was just to go and open our Bibles and study God's Word with Rwandan church leaders. And then we began a group uh, called The Next Generation, uh, which uh, young people selected by local churches, and we began uh, also adding a whole week studying with those young people uh, who um, were more educated uh, than the older group, but the older group uh, had more life experience. Uh, but both groups were hungry uh, to know God's word. And that was going great until new laws were passed in Rwanda. So in 2017, uh, they passed a law for buildings. Uh, they put in some standards for church buildings, and if you don't pass the standards, uh, you can't uh, open the building. And uh, you might think that's harsh, but uh, we have uh, building codes here that you can't meet in this building unless you pass the codes. And the government was concerned about safety of the building and hygiene. And so they've required churches to uh, up their game uh, with the safety of the building and uh, hygiene. And so in 2017, early part, they closed over 7,000 churches because they weren't safe. And uh, some of those churches have reopened, and we've been helping uh, churches to be able to reopen. Uh, but then in 2018, uh, they passed uh, some laws about the uh, 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 pastor, uh, and a local church cannot meet without a legal building. A local church cannot meet without a legal preacher. Uh, and legal preacher, uh, the requirement uh, by September uh, 2023, unless they change it because of the, uh, the delays that have happened because of COVID, uh, a, a preacher, a legal preacher, will have to have an associate degree. That's basically a two-year degree uh, in uh, Bible theology. And so uh, we were, and it has to be accredited from an accredited institution. And so Rwanda Challenge is not an accredited uh, Bible college. And so we partnered with Mid-Atlantic Christian University and their accreditation uh, works. And then uh, with Africa Hope Initiatives, which is our partner in Africa, uh, and uh, we need to purchase a building. We're ready to purchase the building. We have the money in Rwanda, uh, but the owner is going through a divorce. And so... Uh, that sort of put a snag in purchasing the building. The, the court has to release it and say it's okay. So until we get that piece of paper, uh, we should not buy this building. But once that happens, and there is now a court date of uh, uh, June the 9th. And so hopefully coming out of June the 9th, uh, uh, there's a picture of the facility and the property we're trying to buy, uh, which will be the MACU Rwanda campus. Uh, then uh, once we purchase that, we have to finish this building. Uh, we're not sure what the cost is gonna be now. Uh, before COVID, it was estimated about $110,000. Uh, we're not sure about uh, building expenses in Rwanda. We know they've gone up in the United States of America. So uh, then we have to furnish the building. And then after that, we need scholarships uh, for the students. Uh, but this building, we have uh, six units on the street level 
that we will rent out to businesses to take care of the overhead of operating uh, the campus. Uh, but uh, going back to the new law, uh, uh, we have to provide an associate degree, and without a partner like Mid-Atlantic, uh, we can't do that. And so uh, we've sort of shifted from just teaching church leaders to we need to pursue the associate degree. There are two major barriers. One is they have to have a high school diploma. Most church leaders in Rwanda do not have a high school diploma. Second, uh, the Higher Education Council in Rwanda requires that their higher education be offered in English because they want their graduates to be able to interact with the rest of the world. And English is the universal language. So these students will have to pass an English proficiency. And that's one of the main things, one of the significant things this team worked on is helping us. And uh, we're learning new things and we'll make adjustments as we go, but we have to create a path for these Rwandans who want this degree to be able to pass an English proficiency in order to enter the program with Mid-Atlantic. The accrediting association uh, will require that they pass an English proficiency. So there's some obstacles before us, but uh, God just keeps opening the doors and uh, providing the people uh, that we need to, to partner with in order to accomplish this. Yep. I know the last time uh, we took the trip over, I think every one of you, as soon as we said, Frank needs help, I mean, that first Sunday, people were like, I want to go. And I think every one of you wanted to do it even then. Some of you, because of jobs, couldn't get away to do it then. Uh, Katie was planning on going, but Katie had some medical issues that, uh, thankfully, God took care of that. She's well. She's doing great. Yes, amen. But may, maybe, maybe God wanted you to go on this trip for whatever reason. God wanted you with this group of people, and, and I know they're probably glad that you were with them. But uh, a lot of people, when they think about doing something like this, they think, what difference could I make? What, what difference can I really make? So uh, would you be willing to just share with me what difference you felt like you did make or what difference the trip made in your life? And, I, and let me say, thanks to Tammy and her sidekick who helped. She, he did whatever she told him to. She, she put the material together. She, without her, this would not have happened. So we thank you, Tammy. Yes. Um, I was asked to speak about the, one of the ones to speak about the difference. Um, when I thought about the question, I thought about what, it, what was the difference it made in my life, what was the difference it made in the students' lives, what was the difference it made in MACU, Rwanda. And I think all three of those things were tied together. For me, yeah, I wanted to go. What I did there is exactly what I do here. Um, it was very refreshing to go and teach students that were eager, that 
ate every word out of your hand, mm -hmm. um, thanked you every day for what you taught them. I mean, that was a huge difference for me, but at the same time, it was a huge difference for them because even though we only had three students, we got MACU Rwanda off the ground. Um, all three of the students were in their 20s, single, male, so that helped because they didn't have any family distractions because we talked about that. The class that we taught was um, college student success and how to take notes and how to time manage as they were getting started. And then they took another class this week when we were not there. Um, but just to listen to their stories, um, one of them wants to be a music minister, very big into music, so he wants to use, become a pastor so he can minister music. Um, one of the other persons, person is Joel, that was Joseph who wants to do music, Joel, he is big into IT, he studied IT in high school, and he wants to become proficient in IT so he can reach his fellow co-workers in IT with the gospel because many of them do not believe in the church or anything like that. And then, and then Sammy, his goal was to become self-sufficient and be able to move out of his home, which is a big deal over there in Rwanda, so he could have more influence on people, and he wanted to focus on you. So it was interesting to listen to them and to know that you were making a difference um, in their lives, because we celebrated with them at the end of the first week that you're one class closer to graduation, and we told them to focus on that rather than focusing on all the classes that they had to take, that they needed just to take one class at a time. And the difference it made is, um, one of the things for me is knowing that I was part of the first mm. beginning. Yes. And, and to clarify, uh, you two worked with the three MACU students who are going in. Yeah. The others worked with, uh, how many other students were there that uh, you helped with? Because uh, you two nine. worked together and another couple worked. Yeah. I think there was 18 students uh, total that were learning English, how to read and write um, English proficiently. So yes. um, Erica and I were in a team together and we had nine students. Um, and then Ivy and David were the other team members, and they had um, about the same number of students as well. Yeah. Um, Frank, uh, would you like to share any final thoughts for us today as we sort of bring this to a close uh, and just share with the people? Just what you anything want to I want to share. <laughs> Is there anything you want to share? I'd, I'd like to tell you about my nine <laughs> grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> Frank! <laughs> <laughs> I, it'll take about five minutes for each one, and that's only 45 minutes. <laughs> uh, uh, please ask me about my grandchildren. Uh, but uh, what I want to do is uh, to say thank you uh, to Christ Church. And I've selected two uh, passages of Scripture uh, to express that and uh, put a little flesh on uh, my thank you. Uh, the first one is from Philippians chapter 1. Uh, if I can read that at my old age. Uh, uh, this one is a passage that uh, uh, it's not unusual this, that it is used uh, in a time like this uh, where the Apostle Paul expressed to the church at Philippi in all my prayers for all of you 
I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we have uh, reason to believe that the uh, church at Philippi uh, assisted the Apostle Paul financially uh, time and time again uh, as he went about starting uh, new churches and building up churches uh, in Asia Minor and uh, beyond. Uh, and I think back to my relationship, which actually goes back. Now, I know Christ Church is not, does not go back to the 70s, uh, but my relationship here actually goes back to the 70s. And I think about uh, uh, how thankful I am for the partnership, not just this team, not just the November team, uh, but uh, it goes well beyond that. And I am thankful for our partnership. Uh, but uh, I think about a passage that describes you, uh, and that is uh, in 1 Thessalonians uh, 2, verse 8, where the Apostle Paul says, we were glad to share not only God's good news with you, but also our very lives because we cared for you so much. And when I think about Christ Church, and I read this passage, I will always uh, put those two together from now on. I think about this team. I think about the November team. I think about the times that uh, Tim, Winfred, Brad have gone with me. Uh, and it wasn't just to go to teach, to do some task. Uh, but uh, the people here, uh, you gave your very lives and uh, shared in relationship with the Rwandan people. And they noticed that uh, this team was not just there to, to teach English. Uh, the Rwandans noticed uh, that they shared with them and they were interested in them. And uh, uh, I think about uh, this is not just Rwanda, but uh, the reports of Christ Church and places like Togo, uh, increasingly, uh, it seems this is a part of who you are. And the Apostle Paul has an expression about love and serving others. Uh, and he says, do so more and more. And so I'm just excited about what God is doing among you. And I do want to say thank you. Thank you for your partnership with Rwanda Challenge. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your love and your grace and your mercy. We thank you, God, for our team, uh, the folks that gave time from their lives uh, to come and serve you there in Rwanda and make a difference there. And I know, Father, that it's making a difference in their own lives. Father, we thank you for Frank and his vision for Rwanda Challenge. And we pray, God, that you would just continue to work in his life and his ministry, that that ministry would just continue to grow and build to fruition. Lord, we do pray for those students. We pray that they would be successful in their endeavors because they want to do what you want them to do, and that is to lead the church in Rwanda.